podcast named Play Nobody, we often talk about the Mac needing to differentiate <laughs> its individual programs, creating mm-hmm. more of an identity as as the coaching cycle there is so transient. Those programs share so much of their identity, so clustered together. What if I told you there was a much, much worse public relations situation? What if I told you there was a group of five conference that if I put a gun to various people's heads at college football tailgates, they would not be able to name the membership. Flat out would not be able to do it. Well, there's 14 teams for one thing. I mean, who can name all 14? Billiam, mm-hmm. we go to the CUSA. You ready? You started oh, writing last week. Oh yeah, no, I'm 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 almost halfway through the queue, so I'm ready. Uh man, this is going this is gonna be tough. Before we yeah. get to the show intro, I want you I want you to set the tone because I feel like I feel with the QSIC sort of the way I've used to feel about the Mac, and then we jumped into the Mac preview and it was like, oh, interesting thing per <laughs> school. There's an identity here, and then you look at this just soup of programs. They are indeed programs. Yes. Give me something. Give me something, Sizzle, before before we do the show. Come well, on. Well, you know, this is if if everybody who complains about there's not enough parity in college football, we always know who's going to win and blah 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 at all levels of the sport. North Dakota State, uh, Mount Union, and Mary Hardin Baylor, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this conference is for you because from year to year, your fortunes can. Uh, can shift just a wee hair. Uh, Western Kentucky two years ago was about the best, one of the better teams this conference has ever produced, and last year they were three and nine. Marshall was great, and then okay, and then bad, and now very good again. Like you're, uh, we really, it's a roll of the dice. It's like trying to figure out, figuring out who's going to be the best uh, in the Conference USA is like figuring out who's going to be the best AAF team before the AAF actually kicks off a game. So Ooh, you're teasing a segment. Yeah, so that's fun. I mean, isn't it? That's that's sort sort of sort of fun you know maybe that, that was a terrible tease but we're gonna march through it anyway I don't it's care. like the mac how we always talk about parody in the mac but somehow we, even when they stink northern illinois wins bill uh, what i was trying to say was uh, i was actually fired up about the mac i feel i feel milk toast about the cusa get us through the hump i'm just gonna do the show intro this is podcast ain't played nobody it's a college football marriage numbers and words that's a robot bill Connolly. He's the inventor and proprietor of the S&P Plus analytics system. He's the writer of several books. You can find them on the Amazon. You can find them at the stores. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can reach me at 38Godfrey. And uh, you know, this week, uh, if I'm talking about your team in the queue, so I don't hate your team. I just, uh, I don't know your team. I don't know you. I don't know that name. So let's start fixing that problem. Um, oh, Bill, right up front, we're recording early. It's a Tuesday. It feels weird. It's the afternoon. feels even stranger. I've got you on my time. I've got you in my mind frame. You've been awake already for 22 hours today. Sure, of course. You will, you will slumber here shortly. You're going to the Nerd Conference. Do you want to talk about yep. the Nerd Conference for a second? I guess. I don't remember what I said about it last week, but yes, tomorrow I am going to Boston for my annual trip. Um I keep trying to convince people that convince the good folks at MIT that they need to pair with like Pepperdine for the Sloan Conference and just like alternate years if they're going to continue to have it in late February, early March. But they don't seem receptive to that idea. So I'm making my seventh straight February slash March trip to Boston. Um, Boston's trash. So I, I hear that often. Uh, oh, it's pretty good restaurants. So tomorrow, or excuse me, that's Wednesday. When you are when you are listening to this, I will be getting ready to take off. Um, 
But then Thursday, Google has a little private get together. It is private, unfortunately, uh, invitation, whatever. And I don't know if they post these things online afterwards, but I am giving a presentation about basically watch games like a nerd, I think is going to be the general uh, premise of the presentation uh, at Google uh, in the Cambridge office at Google. And I'm going to go to eat at a lovely uh, rest Cambridge restaurant that I haven't decided yet for, for lunch and dinner. Uh, third, and then on Friday starts the Sloan conference Friday, Saturday is the Sloan conference. Apparently it's ending with a conversation between, uh, Michael Lewis and Mike Leach, which is, mm. it is indeed something. And, and I'm impressed that, you know, since Mike Leach is college football, I'm impressed that, you know, he got past the, got past the goalkeeper. We don't talk about college football at Sloan by God, but, um, Michael Lewis and Mike Leach. Yes. I'm trying to figure out which one created the more oversighted, overwrought book in college football. <laughs> well, it's uh, definitely Lewis, by the way. There's, sure. The I mean, is, the I, blind as far side as I know, pox. Mike Leach didn't cost a journalist his job um, like Mike Leach might have, but. Um, are we no, blaming like Leach for that one? I mean, there's definitely things we can blame Leach no, for. Are we blaming Leach for, for, for Bruce getting no, fired? Not, because... not at all. But technically, if he and Feldman hadn't written that book, Feldman wouldn't have lost his job at ESPN. Technically. But, technically. Um, yeah, Michael we'll Lewis is it. It, Michael Lewis's Moneyball is why there is a Sloan conference, I'm pretty sure. And um, so, yeah. That, hey, that do you remember the last me. time we had Feldman on the show? It was a long time ago. And we asked ago, him. Yeah. We don't have guests, so it's kind of hard. We to were remember. doing, uh, I don't know, we were doing like a fundraiser or something, whatever. We were batting it around. It was a long time ago because um, I remember uh, using my, my old attic office to do it. It was one of the first few guests we had. And I just remember, <laughs> even as the guest, Bruce was like, You've asked me three questions about Wyoming. See, this is, you know, the motif, the motif was nascent. People didn't know. They didn't get the memo yet. Um, all right. Well, have fun on your nerd thing. Mm-hmm. Does anyone ever get into a bar fight? Or do you guys ever, like, I don't know, drag a keg into a hotel suite or, like, throw hotel furniture out of a window? Uh, anybody I, anybody hooking up at this deal? What's I, going on? I do not. I cannot speak for anybody else. If you're a local drug dealer in Boston <laughs> and you're like, all right, we got we got the vending machine convention coming through and then we got like pipe fitters union 117 convention you know like how vegas drug dealers like they kind of or like prostitutes you know all the you know casinos they kind of map their business out by the convention season right do you think in boston they're looking at the sloan and they're like we're gonna have to get more cocaine adderall maybe i don't know um Sure I just, I'm curious. I want to know what the craziest Sloan party ever was. I mean, I, th- last, or do I have to fly up there and set that bar myself? Well, I mean, you know, you keep getting invited and you just go, blah, 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 Boston's trash. Blah, invites, and you well, I'm never going to Boston again, but who invites well, me to Sloan? Well, uh, me a couple times. Our friend Justin Moore, uh, TF Gridiron, always throws, uh, I actually deflected this year's invitation because I knew you wouldn't come, but, uh, no, wait, you know, so the people who put it on invite me? Well, no, no, no my, just my, other nerds. my friends, my friends invite me. I invite you. Really? Yeah. Are you saying this on the podcast or is this one of those things where like in real life, you're like off, you know, and we don't have a microphone for you. are like, that's nice, but he's an asshole. Well, I mean, that's no? basically what I told my friend Justin this year. It's like, that's he's fair. not going to come. Brr. Um, well, you know, I mean, it's also the issue of the company sending I, two people to the nerd talk. <laughs> granted, I will say like in my, th- my thirties are now over. Uh, but in my thirties, if I were to rank my top, whoa, whoa, whoa. did I miss your birthday? 
Uh, yeah, like months ago. Oh, okay, cool, but not this week. No, not this week. But okay, my thirties thir- are over, and if I were to rank my my thirties hangovers, last set last Sunday, the the Sunday after the conference in Boston last year was probably in the top five. So you guys do go get a little smash. Well, uh, <laughs> it's a yeah. bunch of people who only see each other once a year, so yeah. Mm, what are we doing here? We going out to clubs, dancing? No, there are places that sell uh these. Food like pizza and salted meats. Just like a bunch of just a bunch of quants on MDMA and gambling, slamming canned beer, dancing, dancing to Euro house music. Gamblers love numbers, and you know, so there's that aspect too. But anyway, yes, I I drink a lot of whiskey. Let's put it this way: I didn't get I didn't get messed up last year on um, on Bush Light. Uh, it was Whistle Pig that that really kind of messed me so up. Get, oh, so y'all y'all are totally asked about yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. But but drunk is drunk, and I had a, I ended up with a skinned elbow, and I have no idea how I ended up with a skinned elbow. My when man. I, when I got back to my hotel room, so it's nuts in Boston in late February. Yeah, I I kind of think you've been playing me the whole time, and the nerds are actually throwing down really hard. The nerds nerds can drink. Like let's not let's not mess All around. Right. All right, I'll go next year. Show up with two suitcases and Natty Light, a baseball bat with a nail through it. There's a Trader Joe's right across from uh, the hotel, so you know you can just. Uh, who needs Natty Light when you can get their uh, their lovely Trader Joe's? Mm-mm, no, real talk. That beer that they sell for like three dollars or whatever. Don't drink that. Simple, uh, simpler times. I've had that. Don't and drink that. The plus is it's like six point eight percent alcohol, so it's that you're is drinking the only- two in one. That is the only plus. Yeah, you're drinking two and one at least. All of the negatives involve dry heaving. I think I am, there's actually like a, a, I think there's a suspicious amount of either like lead or nickel in those things. <laughs> but I I, I, do, I do feel like my uh, my odds of hangover this year aren't that great though because I have Bud Elliott's secret weapon that he introduced me to in uh, weed Costa Rica. <laughs> well, not that one, the other one, uh, li- the the uh, liquid IV, like the, the stuff that like quadruples your hydration. Uh, apparently do half of that before going out and the other half after and you're good. So, um, hmm. so I've got that going for me. Um, I've become a connoisseur of bad alcohol. I <sighs> came all the way around. My dad, uh, my dad did that too. He's like, yeah, I, 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 I don't care anymore. I got, so got a six or a paps the other day. You want to come over and have some? Yes, I will drink it. I'll drink it. Um, what do you call a suitcase is 18 to 24. I, I can go through a 12 or of high life in the dead, the dead of a Southern summer. Um, and I think, I think it's just your hydration levels are basically the same if you're sweating. So it's fine. Yeah. I no longer care about nice things. Um, oh, that's just middle age beating it out of me, but also I don't want to pay $150 for like a bottle of whiskey wearing a bow tie or some shit. Um, it's so good. Cusa just staring us in the face. Speaking of, uh, speaking of, uh, cruddy beer, you tap, <laughs> let's put a bow tie on it. Um, uh, UTEP. I got 15 comments in my uh, UTEP preview, by the way. So uh, there are UTEP fans out there. In the spirit of St. Jude, not the hospital, they do wonderful work. Um, did I ever tell you the story about taking a private tour of St. Jude with a very famous professional wrestler um, who is notorious, <laughs> uh, a, a notorious, he's also a film actor, um, uh, Lothario, if you will, a ladies' man. And uh, before we went out and got ripped up in Memphis, just he and I, we uh, did a quick little photo op at St. Jude, the hospital. And then we both went out 
to the parking lot and tried not to cry in front of each other. And then a young nurse came by and recognized him. And then that sort of shook us out of it. And then he was like, that nurse was hot. And I was like, yep, that was it. And we swallowed all of our emotion and went back to being misogynist. It was helpful. It was helpful in that moment. Um, In the spirit of St. Jude, the patron saint of lost causes, we have Kent State. We established that as the bar. That's our sentimental favorite so far. Kent State or UTEP? Uh, well, I mean, Kent State did the whole, like, we're going to go up-tempo and, and wing it around and hire a bunch of 30-year-olds. That That's like, there's an energy level to the Kent State's moves that you have to kind of enjoy. I really do. Because right now, they're so they're that, that's it. you got to unseat Kent State to get to my sentimental favorite 2019 status. UTEP, are you going to do that? But I'm going to go ahead and say no already with absolutely no offense to the staff <laughs> that was hired and Dana Dimmel. But yeah. Was this I, – I know we, we had a year uh, negative one. We didn't have a year zero. We right. had a year negative one at UTEP. And so you can't glean much out of it. But can you sell me on this being inspired in any way? Well, I mean, in terms of hiring Dana Dimmel, I mean, no, not really. Like, I'm sure they would have been, preferred to find a, a hot young up-and-comer and whatnot. But, uh, hard-ass Dana, job da- to hire for. Yeah, Dana Dimmel out, wanted the job. Hard-ass job. Dana yeah. Demmel wanted the job, therefore he Which was a good candidate. One of the um, huge requirements that you take. I will say, I mean, there are a lot of <laughs> this is kind of an anti Kent State situation. I don't mean that like good versus bad, but in terms of the program he's trying to build, um, like he wants to run the ball. He wants to run the old Kansas State offense where the quarterback's keeping the ball a ton, uh, but you're still spreading opponents out and forcing solo tackles. And a, and, you're, and anytime you make the wrong decision, we're going to punish you. And uh, he's got a, a, a nice big offensive line, just signed some JUCOs. Uh, I, well, no, 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 he didn't. Sorry, I'm getting my teams confused here. He didn't sign JUCOs, but he's got a big, uh, nice big offensive line. Uh, freshman guard was was honorable mention all conference last year. They just signed like a strangely awesome like mid three star running back named uh, Dion Hankins, who I guess is from El Paso, and they kept him home. He had a couple of power conference like Arkansas, I think he had an Arkansas offer and a couple of others, but they kept him at home. Um, if those are legit actionable offers, that should that that's one of the recruiting stories of the year. Yeah, and I I, I was um, so I've I've noticed like some of the Texas high school people I follow they seem to they seem to be very 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 impressed that Demo landed Hankins. So I'll okay I'll cede the floor to them on that one. But that that's that seems to be a pretty big deal. He's already got a, a good running back in uh, who I'm not going to say his name right Quadraries. Q U A R D R A I Z. I can I'm gonna go quadres. Okay, quadres. Yeah, sure. Quadres. There's an extra. There's a, a a floating R in there that that screws me up. But we'll say quadres. Wadley. Um, he's got. He's already good. They've got a big 240 pound guy for short yardage. They've got this Deion Hankins kid. They've got a pretty big line with decent experience. They have no receivers. <laughs> they didn't really have any receivers last year, and then like the top three are gone. So they're gonna run the hell out of the ball. And um, they've got, uh, they still have uh, Kai Loxley, a quarterback. Remember old Kai Loxley? Been to a few different schools now. Um, oh, wait, that, yeah, that, yeah. that one. Yeah, okay. Mike Loxley's, uh, yes. Mike Loxley's son. Yes. He averaged five and a half yards per carry, which is good. He threw three touchdowns to nine interceptions, which is bad. So, again, they're going to be running and running and running and running. Uh, and they're, But they're, they could build a decent identity around that. They've got... I'm going to say a not terrible defensive front, but you can see the identity. He's trying to build the Kansas state of West Texas. Mm -hmm. And you know, if 
you're talking about being outmanned most of the time, but still winning games. That's not the worst model to follow. It is not nearly as exciting as Kent State, but it doesn't. But that doesn't matter. He just has to do it well, and I, I'm not going to say he won't do it well. Can't say he's going to succeed, but they should be uh, reasonably okay this year, and then pretty good next year. Pre- you know, threatened for six and six bowl eligibility, pretty good next year. They didn't. That would un- be they didn't unseat Kent State. You just quietly, you just quietly put UTEP on a track to go to a bowl in 2020. To to, to threaten to threaten to threaten for a bowl in 2020. Okay, all right, all right. Just to be clear, um, this is a hard job. This is um, a job that maybe shouldn't be as hard as it is because it does have a large metropolitan area. It is still in Texas. Um, Technically, oh, man, it's a weird deal there. Um, but if he can, I mean. That, that community will support the team if he can continue to land like the good El Paso products that do come out, if he can land his share of those guys. Um, I mean, that, that'll be a really like physical, heavy on the pride kind of team that you really don't want to face. Like even if you beat, if you win pretty comfortably, you're going to be real tired and beat up and bruised afterwards. Um, and I think that's a, that's a kind of team that that community can get behind. They just have to be good enough at it. I would uh, like to point out that when you do your team previews, I often get bored with like, oh, it's a Michigan State's going to go eight and four treatise. But when you say stuff like the following, I love to watch you stretch. Uh, You said the UTEP defense was easily (laughs) the steadier unit. Um, It played now. Okay. You just said they were the steadier unit. All right. Technically not not untrue. It played more than four decent games. And was ranked 111th in defensive S&P Plus. Not good, but better than the offense, which yep. came in at 127. Yep. I love watching, Not a single I love untrue watching word. you cobble it together. At Not the a single untrue cover. word in that whole passage that you just uh... Um, Yeah, so I will say what, the last thing I'll point out before I just turn the entire – see, this is what happens. We did it with Kent State. I fixate on these just absolutely – here's why. It's my Wyoming thing. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Oh, this yeah. Is your bi- this is your biograph. So, uh, not biograph. This is a, a the graph that ha- contains the bio of Dimmel. If you've never heard of Dimmel before, yeah, we I just probably... realized <laughs> he is the perfect coach for this job because this is what you wrote. Hired by Wyoming at age 34 after two successful seasons at, as Bill Snyder's K State offensive coordinator, Dimmel had won 22 games in three seasons at Laramie's. Laramie, good enough to earn him the Houston job where he won just eight and three. Cast. To the trash heap, he ended up back with Snyder in Manhattan. Still only in his mid-50s, he found an opportunity to leave the F. This dude does not lack for understanding an empty cupboard. Yeah, he he knew exactly what he was getting into, and he still Hell took the job. yes. And he's somehow only in his mid-50s. Like, when I heard they were hiring Dana Demo, like, why, are the hell, why the hell are they hiring a 75-year-old head coach? But he was, in his, he was not even 35 when Wyoming hired him 20 years ago. Holy crap. It's just brutal. Yeah, that poor – like, I have those week-to-week S&P Plus rankings charts in all of the previews now, and poor poor UTEPs is just a flat line. Like, they they flatlined in 2015. They perked up for, like, two weeks in 2016, and it's just been a two-year flat line. The the line is so low on the graph that it barely shows up. Um, It's hard – Hard job, <laughs> real hard job. Uh, but they—he's craft. He, he seems to be piecing together the identity he wants, and they just—they still have to meet a certain baseline of talent, and we'll see. Um, a couple things here. We're gonna jump around. This isn't in any particular order, but um, we have right now we have Charlotte, mm-hmm. we have UTSA to talk about. 
We have rice to talk about. This show will go up on Wednesday. Western Kentucky. We have Western Kentucky to talk about. Um, we we so roughly about half. So we're going to do this the same way we did. Uh, kind of spread it over two episodes to talk about. And not by division or anything like that. We'll just talk about the cues over two episodes. Um, so yeah, this is an ass-end episode. And I love the ass-end episode. Oh, God, yeah. I'm an ass-end man. Um, <laughs> year two of Wright's Stanfordization. I get everything that Rice is doing. And I think it's a just very good thing. Doesn't mean it's going to work. I just want to talk about UTSA for a second. <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Do you I know don't that know. I flew to San Antonio two years ago and was and was halfway through assembling this big profile on Wilson? Because here's the deal about Frank Wilson. We just pocket UTSA for a second. Um, the profile was half finished mainly because his agent uh, was, uh, how do I say this diplomatically, a huge dick. Um, and was really hard to deal with. And so, unfortunately for Frank, who I think is a good head coach, he got frozen out. The problem was also, I was trying to go and get a higher level of access to Frank because I had earmarked UTSA as a program on the rise, rising star, guy who was going to get an SEC job. If you don't know Frank Wilson, Frank Wilson's the king in New Orleans. I'm not joking. This guy is one of the most qualified, sharpest uh, recruiters in the history of the Southeastern Conference. This dude has made miracles happen and understands how to recruit. And not just in New Orleans, it's just flat out an amazing talent evaluator. Kind of looked like he was going to get the black assistant coach ceiling thing where he was stuck as, you know, recruiting coordinator, running backs coach for a while. Gets this job. You look around San Antonio. It makes sense. You can make it happen there. You got a good facility. What happened? What happened? Uh, I mean, they couldn't play offense. That's basically it's a very strange circumstance i I would also point out and everybody's making you know everybody talks about this now in the same breath as utsa but alabama's defensive coordinator pete golding who had serious consideration to be courted by Ole miss as their defensive coordinator this this past year and they think they're going to hire him as a head coach one day yeah was utsa's dc two years ago yeah frank wilson knows coaching talent he knows player talent what is going on bill uh it's all on the offensive side of the ball. The defense kind of stunk last year, too. So, I mean, they don't get completely absolved. But the defense was awesome in 2017. Um, you know, Marcus Davenport, you know, a lot of those guys, kind of the combination of the early fruits of, of Wilson's recruiting plus the, the more experienced members remaining from the Larry Coker era. Um, like just a nice, a really, really one of the better mid-major defenses in the country in 2017. Offense was pretty bad. Then basically the entire starting lineup got nuked uh, before 2018. I mean, they had some of the like the worst or close to the worst returning production of anybody in college football. So they were absolutely going to fall last year. I remember like saying that they were going to fall last year. And Wilson, I think my framing of it was that like Wilson didn't get a P5 job heading into last year. So now he's going to have to wait a little while because they're going to take a step back. Um, you know, they just are going to be super young, but they'll have a lot of upside because he'd signed like 30 three-star athletes over the last two recruiting classes. Um, so yeah, momentary step backwards and then they're ready to, to, to roll again and make a conference title run in, in 2019. That was the idea. Um, defense definitely regressed more than I thought, but they return. They were very, 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 very freshman and sophomore heavy. They've got a ton of returning talent, a couple guys that were injured last year that should help. They got a, a, an Arizona transfer and a Virginia transfer. Like they're, 
I'm, I'm very confident in their defense. They should be not like top 30 good or anything, but at least like top 60, 70 good. What um, they were building is not uh, this thing. If he, if, if, if this staff pulls it out and it's, it's a very different staff than when Wilson got there. But if, if he ends up getting a power five job in 2021 or 2022, it will not be entirely unlike the Matt Wells situation at Utah state. Mm. The difference being this, he didn't really establish that much equity up front to have the Valley. Like, right. You're kind of on the board here at this point. Uh, right, yeah, yeah. No, he's not getting which an, is just, uh, an SEC job in 2020. Um, I, said 20, I said 2021, didn't I? Oh, 2022? Yeah, okay, um, yeah, yeah, I think I said 2022. So, um, but here's, like, you you right here, you're talking about the S, you know, your S and plea, uh, excuse me. Hi. Small seizure in my brain. Okay. Uh, S&P Plus is probably a little too aggressive against them is what you said. However, they are playing five opponents that are projected worse than 100th overall. So let's just say right there, it's they go five and seven. Okay. He's a hot seat coach, which is crazy because <laughs> the way people were talking about him in this industry two years ago was he was going to get one of the Mississippi jobs. He was going to be a candidate for like a high to mid. I mean, this is a guy Tennessee should talk to, and I don't know, whatever Tennessee firing that was. They all run together. Um, this is... All totally changed around on this dude. Is it his fault? Yeah. Okay. I mean, he did. He, you know, he brought in some stop gaps. Uh, Coker had the weird class balance, you know, where he had the startup class and then lost like you know forty-seven seniors in one season. And so there's a chance that after two years, no matter who took that job, was going to run into kind of a second dealing. Like a, he's going to have another senior heavy lineup, and he was going to have to. He was going to struggle in year three, no matter what. Uh, right. But. UTSA, their offense was so bad last year. So, so unbelievably bad. Um, well, let's put it this way. He got – he has all this three-star talent, um, and that's awesome. Great. Good for him. And when he when he finds that his original offensive coordinator, Frank Selfo, uh, not Scalfo? the most – Huh? Oh, no, that's Chris Scalfo. I'm sorry. No, Frank, his dad, I believe. Um Former Tulane coach when when Wilson was yeah uh, Skelfo uh, yeah 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 okay, he, Skelfo, yeah, he yeah. became the Titans coach for the Falcons for a brief period yeah so he was the offensive coordinator uh, nice a nice old hand to run the offense didn't work uh, so uh, so he leaves after 2017 and and Wilson brings in Al Borges to run uh, like a freshman heavy offense the with cooler. no with no bell cow to lean on 25 times a game. Like what? The cooler, Al Borges. <laughs> the cooler. So it is his fault. Like I can't. Like he he made. Uh, uh, he's made quite a few uninspiring offensive uh, coordinator hires. A couple of them anyway. And uh, he he wasn't able to solve the class balance issue. Had a really young lineup led by Al Borges, and it was. The only thing you can say about it is that it was better than Central Michigan's historically bad offense. Like that's the only that's the only offense they had that was or that they were better than last year. And I mean, now he basically now he hires the guy he should have probably hired as OC last year, um, uh, uh, Jeff Castle. Uh, he was basically really young. he was like a GA at LSU when Wilson was there. He brought him in and like immediately good recruiter. Uh, he was a position coach. I guess Wilson thought maybe he wasn't experienced enough to get the OC job, so he brings in Al Borges. Uh, but now he's basically said, "Yeah, I screwed up that one." So here's here here are the keys, Jeff. Go save me. Go save my tenure here. Uh, young guy, smart, has like Auburn experience, LSU experience. 
I, I, I would say, oh, he was Chad Henney's backup in 2006 at Michigan. Uh, so, you know, for what that's worth. But uh, he, the only thing, the only positive spin here is, you know, number one, he does seem like he's got a pretty good mind and probably should have had the job last year. And number two, they got, they got competition. They've got competition at every unit, no proven entities whatsoever, but you know, Lowell Narcisse, the old LSU quarterback, he's there now. Um, uh, athletic sophomore, Frank Harris. Uh, You're doing great, baby. Just keep going. Just keep selling me on this. Uh, you know, athletic quarterback who probably would have started last year, but he got hurt. So, you know, chances are their quarterback play is going to be better than it was last year when it was historically terrible. Uh, lots of three-star prospects at running back and receiver who might suddenly remember they were three stars. He added a couple of JUCOs on the line. Like you really, you have to spin and spin and spin this just to convince yourself that they're going to have like a top 120 offense. Defense is going to be good, but he has not figured out the offense, does not seem to have a plan for offense other than, you know, be more talented than the other team and push them over. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't really work at UTSA. So, yeah, if he is done in, it's because he know, it's because he uh, ended up taking on a lot of the right characteristics as his former mentor, Les Miles, and a lot of the wrong characteristics of his former mentor, Les Miles, and didn't seem to adapt offensively with the times at all. Okay, well, I mean, I don't have a way to spin this other than I'm very interested to see what kind of leash he gets at UTSA because they were so high on him, um, yep. and and the equity was there. Um, I I don't know. It's going to be a very interesting year in a very mundane sort of way, and that we're talking about a four or five win team here. So maybe uh, they're projected to win three, so five would be over. Jeez, that's how bad that's how bad their offense was last year. Okay, Um, so let's move on to a very, very slow but very, very good plan. Okay. If you've never been to Houston, Texas, or if you've been to Houston, Texas, it's a big place. You might not have gone everywhere. You got this school, Rice. Mm -hmm. Very nice part of town. uh, Very affluent, high-dollar private school. Wants to stay relevant in Texas college football. Um, it's funny because we talk about the, the you know the SWAC changing and the Big Twelve and who was left and CUSA and we always talk about it in terms of like SMU and Houston. You still have Rice. I mean, you have Rice here, so yeah. um, they bottomed out. And I don't think David Bailiff is to blame. In fact, I know he's not. I think it was very much a symptom of the fact that. Rice is a hard place to recruit yes. to. Rice is not necessarily for being in some in some ways. Rice is rich, and, and in other ways, I think in football ways they were not they were not funding their program the way they needed right. to, especially <clears throat> in Texas, especially with U of H, uh, you know, across town. So, um, if you're gonna go the Stanford route, and I'm sitting here in Nashville, Tennessee, like a mile or change away from Vanderbilt, um, so I've heard this spiel before. It, 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 you can't go one-to-one in terms of the Stanford model or plan. It doesn't work. The Stanford plan is unique to Stanford. I believe that. It's like saying we're going to do the Michigan thing. That's why like the Michigan tree would go all these places and not work. So you have to adapt to your environment. That being said, if you're looking for a long-term rebuild with the circumstances that Rice affords you, this is not the worst plan in the world. Right. Fair to say? Yeah, no, I mean, it's built on, you know, smart, smart guys being able to handle like complicated game plans. It's built on being more physical than the other team, which you can, which you can always try to be when you're not as talented. It's, uh, you know, 
physical competition, physicality, competition, just uh, all that stuff that uh, goes into a lot of these bad programs. That kind of goes into what I just said about UTEP. Um, they can certainly try to pull that recipe off, and Houston is fertile enough that they can find smart kids who can play good football. I do think this, too. As a private school, it's a little bit different. You can manipulate certain circumstances in recruiting. It's not like you have a hard and fast standard of of like the service academies, right? Um, right. You can get these kids qualified, and the way to do it, I've heard this story at Vandy, I've heard this story from Northwestern coaches, is identify early, 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 stay on them the entire time. As yeah. early as you can identify them within the rules, the bylaws, the NCAA, you do it. You identify the talent when they're freshmen and sophomores, and you just stay on them. I think what you could do at Rice potentially is that you could cluster in a Stanford-type approach to the level of talent that's in Texas and trying to appeal to, like, I don't know, not even 1%, half of a percent of kids who want that sort of Stanford experience and then stay in state. I then think you can go about recruiting on the margins in terms of qualification, kids who are getting no looks from the Texas schools who want to stay at home and not go be a, you know, a defensive back in Iowa or a defensive mm-hmm. back in Minnesota or you know, all the other schools that come in and recruit Texas. You could make a living there. You could, yeah. um, because you do still have the city to recruit to, to recruit to, um, this, everything I'm telling you, and you're about to tell me in terms of looking at the numbers of this team, it takes a long time. Yeah. This takes a long time. And it really is. I mean, you said it wasn't David Bailiff's fault, and it, it, that's basically true. It was just basically that – I mean, he, he didn't leave Mike Bloomgren a whole hell of a lot, but it was one of those situations where this is just a job where you're the, pushing the proverbial boulder up the hill, and the moment you stumble, you're, you're, you're run over, and it's over. Um, and eventually, you're probably going to stumble, and David, that's what happened to David Bailiff. But uh, one, one of the interesting things that stood out to me with how Bloomgren – ran his roster last year was I think he he used the red shirt rule as much as he possibly could. Uh, he had okay. two different uh, red shirting quarterbacks pl- uh, gave two different red shirting play uh, quarterbacks some playing time. This kid Wiley Green ended up going 45 for 88 uh, for 621 yards while red shirting. Um, had a uh, and he also r- ran the ball reasonably well. He had a receiver uh, who caught ten passes while redshirting. Uh, two different offensive linemen who started four games between them while redshirting. Um, at least one uh, like a cornerback who looked pretty good in just a couple of games and got some like pretty immersive playing time for two games and redshirted. So that's really that's the other aspect of this is I mean you can throw yourself hard into development, like basically get these guys as close as possible to to get these guys five years of playing time or as close as you four and a third I guess of playing time, uh, and just develop them and develop them and develop them. That takes an extremely long time, and you have to have a job like Rice where you can do that because you. Usually they're going to, the boosters are going to run out of patience if you're not showing progress within two or three years. And, you know, just by definition, it's going to take longer than two or three years probably. But I liked what I saw in that regard. I think, I think he knows exactly what, like Dana Dimmel, he knows exactly what he's up against here. Uh, And he's trying to do as good a job as possible of getting as many guys experience and as many guys on the field and just like, let them battle Royal it out, figure out who's best. And hopefully somebody actually good emerges. Uh, he also, uh, uh one other fun thing was he added a couple of smart school transfers. Um, he got a, uh, offensive lineman, Brian Chaffin from Stanford, who was a backup there and probably won't be a backup, uh, at Rice. And he also, I love this, uh, this, you know, 
this is a this is my niche right here. He brought in Tom Stewart, Harvard's quarterback last year, who produced like a one forty something passer rating uh, at the good old at the good old Harvard University. Um, and I mean, probably if if that Wiley Green kid doesn't start, it'll be Tom Stewart who does. I'm not being flippant about this, and we have a question we'll get to when we get to Q and A about um, sort of when we decide to put a year zero tag on people. I'm fine keeping it. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to be flippant about that. When people, the clock is always ticking in the Power Five in a different way, and and, and totally honest at high level G fives, Boise, Houston, BYU. I mean, there's a list, no doubt. I mean, obviously Central Florida, what they're doing right now. Um, this is so different and, and should be treated as such and respected as such. Um, especially when you look at, they, they will almost certainly be a better, more talented football team just by the virtue of time this year. And Bill, your win probability is sobering as shit. (laughs) They have exactly two teams that their win probability is higher than 25% on. And it's the two teams we've already talked about. Yeah. Um, that was, I was talking about like that, that was when I was writing the summary, I don't really look at the win projections until the summary for the most part. Um, but it really was like, okay, yeah, you can see what they're doing. All they have to do. They won two games last year. All they have to do is continue building, maybe win four or five this year. And Oh my God, look at that schedule. How is there a schedule that hard in the conference? for USA. Uh, they play Army, Wake Forest, play. Texas, and Baylor in non-conference play. Uh, Four losses. Best, that's, and, and that's, you know, with Army being under-projected uh, by S&P Plus, they still only have an 11% chance of winning that game. 12% against, at home against Wake Forest, 5% against Texas, 7% against Baylor. So that's 0-4. Um, they're, they're, the, you know, th- this is Conference USA, so you play a lot of teams that are going to be in the triple digits. Um, they play four of them in conference play, all on the road. So they'll be underdogs at UAB, which we'll talk about next week. Yes, they're in the triple digits because they lost like every starter. But they're on the road to UTSA. They're on the road to UTEP. Uh, they're on the road to Middle Tennessee, who's rebuilding a little bit. And then at home, they get the good teams, North Texas, uh, Marshall, Southern Miss, and Louisiana Tech, that they're probably not going to be good enough to beat. So you kind of want the opposite of that. Get the winnable games at home, get sacrificed on the road, and show some progress. They are, they're going to be a demonstrably better team potentially this year and go 2-10. and 10. Bill, I'm going to start a new segment right now before we move on to Charlotte because I don't agree with this for Charlotte. But uh, every time we get to the ass end of a conference, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. All right? And you're going to answer as honestly and, and without any joke or cliche on a segment that we are, you know, one of our running memes here. Uh, it's called Should They Go Option. Yep. And so here we got three schools here, UTSA, Rice, and UTEP. Bill, should any of these schools go option? Triple option is specifically what I'm saying. Under center, triple the, the hey, service Rice, academies in Georgia Southern run. Rice did that for a number of years, and like they went eight and four one year with Ken Hatfield running the option. A couple seven and win seasons under Ken Hatfield. Like hell yeah, they, I mean that, it's in their blood to run the option. They were running the option in the nineties. So if you're Rice, I I don't know why I'm leaning away from UTSA in this instance, but I'm thinking more about UTEP and Rice. Um, it seems like it makes a hell of a lot of sense. Sure. Uh, I mean, it makes sense for UTSA because their offense is horrible and there's nowhere to go but up. But, um, but theoretically, so if Frank Wilson doesn't work out in two years, do does UTSA go and hire uh, Ivan someone? Jasper. Yeah, Ivan Jasper or someone from. I, I don't think you leave Navy or Army to go to UTSA as a head coach, but I do think that your top coordinator does. Yeah, I, I mean, Ivan Jasper is ready. I think for a head coaching job. So, um, 
Yeah, that would be not to, not to not to steal him away from Navy, but that would be a really intriguing uh, move for him because you can. I mean, you can hire some decent defensive assistants and and you know maybe some recruiters and get yourself a a solid uh, roster of of conference USA level talent and go run the hell out of the option and kill some teams with it. Okay, uh, for the next team, and then we'll move on. Uh, we're gonna do this a little bit different just because. Um, I'm going to go and finish my profile on Will Healy, uh, uh, who is the new head coach of the Charlotte 49ers. So we'll, I'm going to throw it to you first, and then we'll do a little back and forth. What do you want to know? Because you have <laughs> a as, as much of a blank slate as the FBS uh, can offer in Charlotte, right? The program is how old now? Uh, four or five years. Five? Yeah. I think. Is this the sixth year or the fifth year? I don't know. Um, no identity, no history. Large metropolitan environment, um, pretty good financial setting, pretty good facilities. I've been told I'm going to head over there in a month and change. I think um, everything feels good, right? Uh, this is this is as much of a canvas as you want it to be. What do they want to be? <laughs> um, <laughs> good. I don't know. Um, I, I I think that's. The fact that I don't have an answer is kind of the, the most intriguing part of this job. Like, okay, you're around all those those uh, talented recruits we always talk about. Go get some. Go get some and figure out what you've got. Uh, like, he hired – it's really – it's going to be really strange these next couple of years because he goes and hires a super run-heavy offensive coordinator. Um, I'm blank, What's the guy's name? Alex Atkins? Yeah. Um, and he, I mean, dude comes from uh, the Willie Fritz. Southern. Yeah, he, dude, dude comes from the Willie Fritz school. Um, but like Healy wasn't like super run heavy at at uh, Austin P. I don't think. And while he's got a good running back in Benny Lemay, uh, senior, uh, the probably the two the most intriguing player on the roster is sophomore receiver Victor Tucker, and he's got a sophomore uh, quarterback who's okay running the ball, but not really like three point two yards per carry. Um, it, it basically, he has a roster that could be interesting in terms of spreading things out and throwing the ball. And he hired a Willie Fritz assistant. Um, and he doesn't really have his best quarterbacks, like any of his quarterbacks that have been on the field, haven't really shown that they can, you know, be dangerous with their legs. And so kind of a mishmash there. And I'm really curious just what comes at what philosophy comes out of it. What, cause just because he worked for Willie Fritz doesn't mean he's going to try to go back and run the Fritz's Georgia Southern offense. He could try to modernize or whatever you want to call it. I just don't know what that'll look like here. Um, so we don't know what we even want to know about this other than the fact that, and this is weird for me because I don't want to talk in absolutes or really tip my hand on what I'm working on. Um, but Healy was a red hot name. We talked about Charlotte being a red hot job. It was interesting to watch the timeline of this stuff come together. Um, obviously Mike Houston is something we can talk about, right? Um, James Madison head coach, Mike Houston just duffed it in the history of duffs. I've never seen one quite like this. Uh, if you've already forgotten, James Madison was in the quarters or semis, Bill. Do we remember? I think it was the quarterfinals of the FCS playoffs. I think it was quarters, yeah. Um, had verbally agreed in principle to become the next head coach at Charlotte um, and then just sort of, I don't know, locked up, froze out. I don't know what verbiage you want to use, but basically left Charlotte hanging because the Eastern Carolina job had become available. Uh, bigger job, I think bigger paycheck. Um, job that he wanted that was I don't know whatever I'm gonna do we'll we'll do Mike Houston when we get to to Eastern Carolina. Um, big pivot moment for Charlotte. Not exactly. Um, I don't know if they were ready to sell Will Healy to the world. 
than they sort of had to to get in the Will Healy business. It's going to be very interesting to see these these first six months <laughs> in this first season here. Um, I don't yeah, want to say anything I, else because I'm literally I'm working on something right now. I, I'm really um, the cl- class balance. I, I mentioned class balance with UTSA. It is a thing, and um, explain I, class balance. Well, just in terms of like not not having to wear like your your senior heavy one year and then you stink the next two and then your senior heavy and pretty decent one year right. and then you stink you want to just a, you want to flow here you want to be pretty good every year in terms of experience and not have to restart all the time um, the the passing game for Charlotte this year like I said sophomore quarterback sophomore receiver the number two receiver is also a sophomore like there there's a there's a lot of uh, three-star freshman and redshirt freshman in the receiving core. So a couple of uh, interesting sophomore, other sophomores. Like the the passing game is extremely young and interesting. The rest of the the lineup is senior heavy. Benny Lemay is a senior. The they have the, their their most experienced. Uh, their left tackle is a senior. They brought in uh, NC State grad transfer Philip Walton. If he starts, that's another senior. They might have three three st- senior starters on the line. Might have three senior starters on the defensive line. Two senior starters at linebacker. Three or four senior starters. In in the secondary so basically he could take a nice step forward this year with all this experience uh, and I mean anything is a nice step forward really for Charlotte and then start over again next year um, with it with a really interesting passing game and a whole bunch of sophomores everywhere else in the lineup so it's gonna I like I, it might take a little while for the stars to all align here and him to get all the pieces he needs um, especially like I said, the identity of his offensive coordinator and the talent at hand, I'm really – I'm just curious. I, I have no – I do not know what to expect from their offense. Okay. How are you feeling about it? I, I feel like it's going to take him a couple years. But I feel um, like he knows that and he doesn't care. Like he took the freaking Austin P job, so he, you know, he's not scared. No, I mean that is one of the reasons I was intrigued by this by the the individual in the story was that that job is the oof, one of the deadest of ends. I know it's an FCS job, so it doesn't get the kind of play that we you know we've given like Kent or UTEP on this episode. But um, his ability to get Austin P functional was nothing short of remarkable. Right, so, the fact that they went five and six last year and everybody's like, oh, that's still fine. <laughs> like he went thirteen and ten in two years, and they're like, oh, he's a miracle worker. It's a bad job. <laughs> it's a real bad job. Um, before we get into questions, Bill, um, I'm going to put you in an uncomfortable situation uh, and just put myself in my normal situation um, because you are underprepared to talk about what we're about to talk about, and I live that way. Well, um, uh, you've the... also for completely forgotten Western Kentucky. Oh, did you want to do them now? I well, thought I mean, we were gonna... pre- preview went up today. Oh, yeah, okay, all right. Um, so Western Kentucky <laughs> – yeah is going to fall under into a different bucket. And that is, I have a thing going, I re- I'm not even going to say what about, that sort of tangentially involves Western Kentucky. Um, but here's what I can say before you talk about the football things. Mm-hmm. Head-scratching coaching change. And then that's really all I can say about Western Kentucky right now, unless you want to talk pure football. So help me here. Well, yeah. I mean, they fired Mike Sanford after two years, paid him a $1.2 million buyout, and then basically hired Mike Sanford. Um, <laughs> that's the best way to describe the situation. So, I mean, like, if, uh, we let's, don't let's, know. If- hey, let's do this. Let's pause. Let's okay. pause for a second because two years ago, I was watching a, a war machine of offense yes. at this program. Yes. Um, I can say this. 
that bringing in Mike Sand. It's look, it's hard to hit, uh, it, it, you know, blackjack three or four times in a row. You you talk about this all the time that hiring coaches is really really hard. Yep, it's way harder than we than we think. And um, there was a streak at Western Kentucky, and part of that streak was that Jeff Brom came in underneath Bobby Petrino. <laughs> Phrasing. <laughs> um, and, of course, you know, Willie Taggart before that, but Petrino comes in on the one-year deal, transitions out, goes to Louisville. We know how that ends. Uh, Brom comes in, builds a thing, really builds a thing, builds upon what, what Petrino had kind of done, and I think in, more in principle. Um, and then they went a very different direction. Um, culturally, um, attitude wise, choosing my words carefully, and, and also the football parts, Bill. The football parts. I've talked to Western Kentucky people, and um, the way Brom and the way Mike Sanford run their offenses was totally different, and you felt it immediately. And we, um, I think I've done the stat a thousand times. Too. How many games did they win? Twenty something in two. What is it? In two years, they won. Yeah, they won twenty. A lot. They won five. a lot of games. Twenty-three and five over two. Yes. years. Yes. Which is really remarkable because honestly, I think if you would have put Western Kentucky in some of these circumstances or situations that UCF beats their chest about, I think they would have whipped some ass. <laughs> Those were good offenses. They yep. were crazy good. And like they're playing in front of 13,000 people and no one knew about it. And then, you know, we're all in the Jeff Braun business now in college football media because of what he did at Purdue and the teams that he, you know, he beat Ohio State. But he's been doing this for a while. Um, to make the turn that they did into Mike Sanford. It just didn't work. And we talk about this all the time. There's such a shorter leash on these programs. I mean, you, the the fall is quicker and, and, and worse when you're at these G5s. Yeah. Just yeah, I really – yeah, I mean, I've said this a million times. Like, my bar for firing somebody after two years is pretty high. Like, you have to be hopeless, just completely, utterly hopeless to fire a guy after two years, especially when you don't have just a ton of money and you have a $1.2 million buy-it you got to pay. Um, that's that's a lot of money at Western Kentucky. And the fact that they fired him, it, it was like he had gone 0-12. And they were really, really bad for about the first half of last season, maybe two-thirds. Yeah. They, they improved, but it was like a two- or three-game sample. So, I mean, I get it. Like, I wasn't amazingly optimistic heading into 2019, but – it was his second year and he's a first time head coach. And he really, he, he's had a lot of self-inflicted wounds that first year. I do think he kind of, I mean, there's change, there's doing the things you want to do. And there's also kind of like changes, change for changes sake, like to right. prove that you're in charge now or whatever. I felt he had, he did a little of that and yeah. that's not, that's rarely good. Um, but he's a first time head coach. He's a young guy. He had been, had, he was there two years. He recruited reasonably well. And, and what's funny is I, I wrote this in the preview. He was coaching like he assumed he was getting a third year. He redshirted most of his better recruits from last season. Um, so, I mean, he's got oh, like a there's, mid there's no doubt that, um, you're dead on. I'll just say that. Yeah, You're like I mean, this—he uh, got a mid to high three-star quarterback, this Kavaris Thomas kid, who's six four two fifty, and he hasn't even had his redshirt year yet. Uh, he came in. He—I don't think he threw a single pass. He ran like six times. He redshirted, uh, but he didn't. They didn't try to. You know, they weren't trying to paint a picture of, "Hey, look, we're we're okay. Look at all these freshmen playing." They redshirted those freshmen, and just kind of assumed that he he did not realize he he might get canned. So, in theory, Tyson Helton now benefits from that. Um, he's basically Mike Sanford with Western Kentucky on his resume. 
Um, looked, you know, looked great while in charge or sort of in charge of a couple of those Jeff Brom offenses. Looked less great as quarterbacks coach at USC last year. But um, he now comes into a situation where they have a couple seniors, this, uh, uh, you know, a couple okay replaceable seniors in the receiving core. But basically, everybody intriguing on the Western Kentucky roster is a redshirt freshman, a sophomore, or a junior. Um, and they've got a lot of them. Everywhere you look, they seem like they're going to have good competition at least. Uh, and, you know, like that's that would have been a really good situation for Mike Sanford to potentially be in next year. But instead, some other guy is, and it might work for him. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> the American Athletic Football Association. Mm-hmm. Does that work? Yeah, fine. It's fine. Um, Federation, right? There's not an extra. Whatever. Do we here? Do we need to do acronyms anymore? Can we just make a league that just Alliance of American Football? That's what it is. But just, but I mean, just call it the football or like football. February, time, February or... football. <laughs> FF. FF. Um, are you? You're not watching much. Not really. No. Why I feel not? bad. I feel like I'm supposed to be like I'm letting myself down by not. Why? But, well, because it's football, and I write about football, and I recognize I'm happy the league exists because there are a lot of players in this league that like I was. I still. I kind of thought pretty highly of Logan Woodside. Now he's got a little extra development time here. I there. There are a bunch of Missouri, former Missouri players playing for the Birmingham team. Ladamian Washington. Love Ladamian Washington. Love that he's playing college football. Like I, I love that it exists and these guys are still playing pro football. But it's February. This is when I like this. This is number one. This is when I give the remote control back to my wife and kid. Um, so there's that. And then also like, um, you know, really the only sports I'm watching right now are, are Saturday and Sunday morning soccer. Uh, like I, I, I'm really, I'm just not, I've tuned out watching football while I collect my thoughts to talk and write about football all off season. I don't know. Like I just haven't, I'm, I haven't been interested in turning it on. I'm very conflicted. I definitely get where you're coming from. Um, I, I will state at the outset, the way that you and I consume football is completely different than even our listeners who are hardcore fans and we have to do it for our jobs. And um, we're just looking at things different and projecting things different. And it, it you, you less let it wash over you than you're like, all right, how is this? What what narrative is this? Da, 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 da. So I do think there's a level of burnout that's different. Of course, in the same breath, I always say this on a podcast. I hate being that media asshole. So I'm not going to talk about how much, oh, I watch so much football. Um. <laughs> I don't know, man, we're all reared this way. Like that you have a, a period of time before you can even remotely get wistful around like March or April. And then you have spring ball and more of it's, it's more projecting and hypothesizing. And then I think you do get a two week. It's now stretched. I, I would say really is stretched into like two weeks of at least media coverage where we get the draft and the two pro and college sort of marry each other. You get to have different conversations there. And then at least for me, I don't really want to think about like, I don't want to think about sports after the, I, I now say I don't want, I used to say I don't want to think about sports after that. Cause I don't really want, I don't watch the NBA. Um, I watch the NCAA tournament, like just as a sideshow. And then now, because I live in Nashville, you're talking about all you're focusing in on is the soccer. Like I, I'm, I'm now I've got the Preds game on in the background watching, paying attention to, paying attention to everything now like my hockey season kind of kicks in in february so sometimes january whatever um that's it it, but at the same time bill i've watched those atlanta games they are awful (laughs) oh my god but i mean what else you know i tweeted about this over the weekend 
it kind of makes me feel like happy in a sick, I, sick way that well, they're because it, it's Atlanta football. It's outdoors. It reminds me of Fulton County Stadium. And actually, I just realized this. They're playing in the old Turner Field, which is Georgia State Stadium, right. which is basically a parking lot across from the original Turner Field, which is where the Falcons. Like I, I I'm old enough to have seen the Falcons play outdoors, um, and they're trash. They're so bad. They're so bad. But I'm just like, it's football, and they put my city, my my sports city on the helmet, and so here I am. We've got Steve Spurrier coaching Garrett Gilbert. We've got, like, on the – I just opened oh, up the dear. AAF.com. Like, the lead story on AAF.com has a headline that just makes my heart happy. Singletary makes the switch. Express going with Mettenberger. That's just, like, that's so – I was going to tell you, I, so I was about to sell you is Hack, I mean, Hackenberg, Hackenberg's getting benched. I mean, that's that's it, right? That's the thing. That's right It's now. definitely a pro league then, yeah. Um, yo! Just let that one whiz by. Um I want to see it through. I don't understand either why we make fun of these enterprise. Look, we consume football at a pace that that outstrips every other sport in America. Okay, it's it's our pastime. Baseball is antiquated and dying, and they're still trying to fix it. Um, I have to add, by the way, like, do you is your Pirates fan? Do you is there a point in the season in which you flip that on? Because like I know Bud Elliott that we work with, he will he consumes Tampa Rays games like. With consistency, do you do that? No, no. I I will say like uh, I I watch I follow like the rules changes and stuff that they've been proposing. I like the idea that Bud had first, but then Nate Silver, you know, completely stole from Bud about having a ten man pitching staff to make these games go a little faster. I will yeah. say the pitch clock idea has me very intrigued because I will say there are there are two or three times in a given summer where I'm like, all right, there's nothing else on. I'll try baseball and I'll flip it on. And I'll watch for 25 seconds and nothing happens. Well, you got to do another there. thing. You got to do another thing. That's 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 the yeah. secret. You got to do another thing until it's time for the playoffs. And I'll be honest with you, it's still tough. It's still tough. No, like, yard work, yard work, fold some laundry, I, clean something. I watch fix a sport something. where there's 20, between 25 and 40 seconds of, of 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 nothing between plays, and I still like I watch one at bat. I'm gonna just kill me, just kill me, and I have to turn it off. Pace is a serious issue. I only brought it up because I was going to say again, it's like it's like a circadian rhythm that we have with sports. <laughs> and after like after the draft, I'm like, all right, football. I don't want any new news unless I'm covering something. I say that I put out a freaking TV show in a long form last year on Memorial Day, but um, you don't want anything really to happen until you get into the July sort of rhythm of kids reporting to camp and media days and all that. We have a we have a pace here, and I think the AAF, aside from the bad play, uh, disrupts that pace. And I'm sitting here saying I have no interest in, in the sports that are in season right now. I've tried and failed a couple times with with the Premiership to find a team and do the soccer thing. It's probably not going to happen. I have two kids. I have a ton of hobbies. Um, a couple friends. It, there needs to be there needs to be some time to take a breath. And yet, I will say this: I put it on the other day. And just being able to watch live football and watch individual plays, they are they are doing a couple things I want to talk about. They are miking players in yep. a way that I wish I wish pro <laughs> and college would do. I think it adds tremendously to the immediate understanding of what's going on, even when you don't obviously understand like the verbiage of a play call. I think that um, having the the mic on the instant replay official is flipping genius. Yeah. It is absolutely the way that you bridge the gap between 
action review and then further action because you it, it puts you it, it's all it's it's continuous developing event it's it's a continually developing event um i thought that was a great idea um even some of the camera work i've seen because you can tell i i, I think that and this is just me watching parts of games i think they're leaning into the a22 culture I really do, I, and I'm seeing a lot more vertical stuff on plays. And if you're going to have a – look, if you're appealing to hardcore the 15% of the larger pie of, of football fans in February, it's probably the A22 people, of which I am having – I always hated vertical and hated A22 as a viewing experience until – because I mean, you're weaned on television the same way we all are. Then you go to games, and, right. and then I would sit in film rooms with coaches, and I would learn – in bursts because you know it was like walking into a 501 foreign language class and then by the third or fourth day you're like oh okay i get it now and the way that they process it and the way you're able to look at individual matchups and things vertical is so much better it's a thousand times better <laughs> so why not do that and i i've seen i don't know if they're using like the the, the cable skycam gimmick or whatever but like Makes it good. It makes it good. Now, meanwhile, the football is shit, Bill. <laughs> it's I, I've watched a lot of Matt Sims, but also like um, I called an, an O line coach in the SEC and I said, "Hey, will you?" <laughs> I asked him three times. I said, "Will you?" Um, I didn't call him about this, but I was just like, I would be on the phone and I'd say, "Will you watch one of these AAF games and tell me why it's so bad?" I was like, because I have a theory based on Richard Johnson and I were talking, and his he I was like, these quarterbacks are just dog and he's like well it's really the o-line play and i'm like mm. and so i posed that I, I posited that to this o-line coach in the nfl and he's like or in the in the sec and he's like well compared to the nfl it might actually be the quarterback's fault if he's not doing something in time it, of course an o-line coach would say that. of course yeah it's never the O-line. and then i but then he said but it could also be the fact there's a significant drop off of like you're looking at practice team tackles in the league and that there's just a an absence of a skill set that you're used to seeing even on a bad NFL team. So it was really interesting. He will, the the, the punchline to this or, or the resolution of the story is that he won't watch it. I was like, I've asked him three times, like, we watch this so I can get quotes from you and write a little blog post about this. And he's like, I'll be like, Hey, did you see the Birmingham game? He's like, no, no, we're, we're like, we're, we're, we're doing database for juniors right now. Like, leave me alone. I don't want to watch this shit. Um, I, I think, so, I, it, it has always blown my mind that there hasn't really ever been a minor league for for a football minor league that has clicked um, b- because there are so many people willing to inflict harm on themselves to play football professionally, you know, to, to make it big. It's um, why, well, why are we always making fun of these minor leagues struggling? Because we had the United Football League a couple of years ago and that died. Arena and then we have this. What's that? Arena League made it a while, at least. Or you, you have the Arena League, and you know, of course, the Vince McMahon XFL thing, which is now coming back. Like, why? Why do we relish so much? And I don't get it. It just makes us look like yeah, we hate company, the NFL. Like we rage company against the shills. NFL. I know that's, we, but that's what's so weird. Is that's like, like the whole the, what we always talk about with usurpers and all that in college football. Like we, 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 we pine for. Um, uh, par- for more parity, and then we we try to take down anybody. Yeah, and who- the NFL product is not great. It's great. It's great in bursts. It's right. great in moments. No, I do think um, if I, I've started to believe that if there's ever going to be like a, a successful NFL or minor league uh, football venture, it kind of has to happen within the NFL just because of 
the potential for like continuity and culture and things like have the, have the new England Patriots junior team playing the, you know, whoever the green Bay Packer junior team on Friday night before a Sunday game or something where you've got like a, a couple of coaches or a, a coaching staff or a couple of coaches or whatever designated for the junior team and playing like with the same yeah. playbook and playing to where they're, it really is like they're gonna, they might get called up to the majors uh, within baseball. I think it, it almost has to be that because this really is, it's such a disjointed thing. They went out and hired a bunch of retired coaches um, and it just was kind of a mess from the start. You could kind of tell it was going to be a mess, but there are so many fun names involved that you're like, hell yeah, I hope this works. And I do hope the AAF works, but it does kind of feel like the NFL has to have a big hand in a successful minor league venture. Minor league venture, I think. I agree with you financially. My my pushback on that is that they would impose their culture and then thus negate any of the innovations that we see. Potentially. Although, I mean, we, you know, innovation looked good on the NFL, at least briefly last year. Um, and yeah, for like a second. For a second. And I mean, it won't last forever, but it doesn't last forever in the SEC either um, before we all get back to man ball and, and, and bashing bricks together on defense and whatnot. But um, no, like there is uh, everything that, that, that is bad about the NFL could be like double bad with a, like a junior league kind of setup. But uh, man, I don't know. Like I, I hope I, I want one of these things to succeed because it really is fun. When I write at these previews every damn year, when I know when I write the same like names about UTSA for the three or four year period, and then I can like see the, like names I recognize on two deeps for the for some minor league team that makes me happy. It just it, it, the quality does suck and and you know it's it's it the quality is kind of like worse than college football and that's weird. It shouldn't be that way and I, I think there there could be potential with having like a Patriots two team and a Packers two team or whatever, but I don't know. All right. Let's jump into questions yep. just cause we're running a little long. Um, we, uh, <laughs> I had to go to the Reddit to ask a question about a question, um, because I didn't know if we have done this across the board yet. And there's of course mixed results on the Reddit because what would Reddit be without conflict? <laughs> um, but Curly Shea asks, uh, hashtag ask PAPN, uh, list of coaches considered to be in a year zero this year and is sat in a year zero at Louisville. Um, well, yeah. Did we do the whole list? I mean, yeah, basically any, <laughs> any, no, did we, did we go through the list of hires and say year zero or not? Because I don't I think swear so, to but, God we did, but I can't remember it. I don't think we ever did it in an organized fashion at least, but it's pretty right, easy. I mean, did it. you, did you suck last year? Then you're in a year zero. That's kinda... no, no, because I just got done saying that some schools you're never afforded a year zero. And, what the NFL coaching? God, come on, college coaching. Ooh, yeah, like Manny Diaz isn't in a year zero, but no, Manny Diaz. See, see, here we go. Okay, All but right, they also didn't you. suck. They, they they sucked on one side of the ball. All right, they let's also just do the damn thing. You ready? Dana yeah, Holgerson at Houston. No. no. Neil Brown at West Virginia. No. I would, I would argue maybe. No. No, he still has to do decent. Let's put it that like, if yeah. if if six and six would be disappointing, you're not in a year zero. Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. Yes. Eli Drinkwitz at App. No. Mike Houston at Eastern Carolina. Yes, because I sucked. If anybody mails me about saying Eastern over East, I will find you (laughs) and punch you in the stomach. It makes me kind of queasy because I know you're going to get yelled at. Anyway. (sighs) Chris Chris Kleiman, Kansas State. (sighs) 
What did we say last time? I don't remember. I think I think the answer was yes, but I I think they have a he has a little more potential for first year success, but probably still yes. Mac Brown, North Carolina. <laughs> well, wait. Oh, I want to make an old age joke, but I'm not going to. Um, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no because they had ta- they have talent. Yes, the whole the whole thing around Fedora was that that roster was improving. It was just bizarre the amount yeah. of snake bites that they got, especially yeah. like quarterback. Manny Diaz, Florida. Nope. Miami. Miami. Sorry. <laughs> Ugh, sorry. Was that a no? Yes, correct. No. Okay. Scott Satterfield at Louisville, the original question. God, yes. Maybe a negative one if such a thing exists on the Man, P5 level. I, I really do. Like I, like I said last You're week. You're cleaning up after Bobby Petrino. Let's seven, look at how that goes historically. <laughs> so they underachieved by 17 points per game against the spread last year. Like the, yeah, Vegas they said, finished. oh, they're worse than we thought. Let's lower the expectations. Oh, God, we have to lower them more. Oh, God, we have to lower them more and never caught up. Yeah, they're going to be shit for a while. Mel Tucker, Colorado. Yeah, I guess. Yes, he he can't afford like a one and eleven reset, but it's 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 hard to expect more than like five and seven or six and six. I'm I think. gonna say no based on the 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 way they justified McIntyre. I'm gonna say yeah. no. Okay. Um, Ryan Day at Ohio State. There's no such thing as a year zero at Ohio there State. There you go. Okay, right. so this is what I was getting at. Thomas Hammock at Northern Illinois. Uh, I guess we did not. We did not imply as such during the Mac preview that we did two weeks ago. We did not. We did not really say yeah. that there was. I think if they uh, NIU, NIU fans were kind of a weird brand of frustrated with Rod Carey. Like if they stink this year, but they show promise on offense, and suddenly you have a young core that emerges, I think they'd be okay with that. But he's not. No. I don't think he's allowed just to just say no. like I'm burning the two deep down and playing yeah. a bunch of freshmen. I'm just gonna say no. Yeah, uh, Jim McWay in Central Michigan. Sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I, they were they were they were quite bad last year. Uh, Spavs, Jake Spavital at Texas State. Yes. Kerry Anderson at Utah State. No. Which makes that an even more annoying hire. But God, uh, Will Healy at Charlotte. Yes. Yeah, big time. Less miles at Kansas. Yeah. Okay. Rod Carey at Temple. No. No. The, Matt Wells at Texas Tech. No. No. Tom Arth at Akron. Hell yes. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, Chip Lindsay at Troy. No. No. Uh, LOL Offler at Bowling Green. <sighs> Whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even going to answer Bowling Green. Walt, yeah, I guess Walt yes. Bell at Matthew Mass. Uh, yes. Oh, yes. Very much so. Hugh Freeze at Liberty. <laughs> no. No. The answer's no, weirdly enough. God doesn't take uh, years Ty- Tyson Helton at Western Kentucky. We just got to talking about right. it. Uh, no, that's no, the whole point no. of that thing. Right. I Michael mean, Oxley. Michael Oxley. Oh, geez. Maryland. That's a weird job. No. Okay. They showed just enough promise last year that no. I kind of want to say yes, and I think they'll get away with it because of the off-field shit last year. Right. But I don't think in a football sense they should. Matt Canada so. hasn't been hired anybody anywhere yet, right? There's a reason why. Oh, I know. I just uh, everybody can figure it out on their own. I don't want to get sued. Um. Okay. 
See, it was worth asking the Reddit. The, you know what's funny is that I interact with our friends on Reddit, and they always give me a little bit of shit, and then that made a pretty good segment. So <laughs> I, that's why I, that's why I asked y'all. I felt somebody. Okay? I, I felt bad. Somebody Twitter DM, DM'd me the other day and said I DM'd you on Reddit, but uh, I didn't get a response. So I thought I tried. You're to never Reddit. on that Reddit. My, well, my response was, "Wait, you get DMs on Reddit." Yes, I'm on the. I, I go and and run around and have fun with the Reddit occasionally. But um, if you DM me on Twitter, it's it is going into somewhat of a void. If you are, especially if you are asking me a question for this show, hashtag at me with the hashtag. Otherwise, that's how I'm going to collect most of the questions. Right. Um, all right, we're long. We'll go ahead and do a little bit of question asking, and then um, it's just so busy stuff. in college football these days. We, we we're not going to be able to help but go long. Um, just very quickly because it's, um, it's funny at one dishwasher said, what are you guys doing on August 30th? Love for you to embed for rice army <laughs> to document the slowest game ever. Uh, Slash nerd fastest question. game ever. Nerd question. Yeah, exactly. That's what it, that's how it should be phrased. Uh, nerd question. Does S&P plus adjust for a game with like three possessions each half? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, it's tempo adjusted, so it's based on success rates and, and all that, but, uh, then why is army eighty? Go ask our friend John. Mm. Um, Lucas Westblade, last podcast. Y'all talked about Maryland being or not being a sleeping giant. Who are maybe five to ten of the biggest sleeping giants in college football? Frick. Yeah, yeah that's a that's a tough question to wade into. Um, um Okay, it's just uh just power five. Um, North Carolina is the one that we always talk about forever right. and ever. Um, I'm, yeah, beginning and I mean, to, I, I'm beginning to balk on some of these as I get older. Well, sure. I mean, the thing is, maybe, the more, maybe they're not asleep. Maybe they're just dead. Well, right. The longer we cover college football, the, the more, number one, the more we've seen like certain sleeping giants at least briefly become good and bad and blah, blah, blah. But we just kind of, you get a, you get a biorhythm, so to speak, and you can start to understand like there is no such thing as a sleeping giant when it comes to a program that could suddenly be Ohio State in 20 years. Right. They just don't – they barely ever come around. Oregon was like the last one, and guess what? They they kind of – they didn't fall back asleep like they were but going they three and nine. They were a giant in my opinion at huh? all. I think that – I think I think Oregon completely contradicts the concept of a sleeping giant because a sleeping giant well, is something that we can identify from the outside and say you should be able to combine well, these elements to create success. What Oregon did was blaze a trail. Right, but I meant like a team that broke through and suddenly started playing at an elite level in general. Um, LSU – Right, LSU is LSU is, is the one that everyone talks giant. about. With yeah. when you, yeah, when you paint the Saban picture, that that's the one everybody talks about in terms but who's of sleeping giants. Well, sleeping giant relative to is the question. Or if you're talking about sleeping giant relative to a national title, I don't know if Georgia Tech is in that sort of realm, but I do know that they're a sleeping giant in the ACC, in my opinion. There's there's a good example of what I'm talking about. Um, it, it's all about relative to expectations. So, sleeping giant on the national championship stage. Could you can you give me one right now? Theoretically, I mean, UCLA. Theoretically, UCLA. Theoretically, if, UCLA. If you want to say Miami is sleeping, I mean, they were, you know, like a game from the college football playoff two years ago. So I don't know if they count, but uh, they're not, they have not lived up to expectations over the last 10 years. Although, you know, ask about Elliot, some of the limitations they're dealing with. Um, yeah. It's hard. There's <laughs> one Michigan. Not sleeping, trying very, very hard. <laughs> trying hard to wake up, yeah. Love to talk shit. Can't get there on that one. Uh, but I do want to bridge over to this question. Um, it is at Tyler G. Schuster. He says, 
Has there ever been a more, quote, make or break in, quote, coach, coaching situation, not quoting situation, coaching situation, than Frost at Nebraska? If he can't get them where they think they should be, no one can, right? I would push back and say this. Um, I do think Frost will improve them, inarguably. I think the issue at Nebraska was all the stuff at Nebraska. I think there, there was a lot of self-inflicted um, wounds at Nebraska in the non-football corridors of power, of the way the university's led, about the expectations. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've heard this for years. They thought this thing was a latchkey operation and that the world was going to bend to Nebraska, and it turns out you have to evolve and change with the times. And so I think Frost is going to get it done, or, or at least be better. I don't know if Nebraska's ever winning, like, you know, two national titles in four years or whatever, but I do think that um, they can be better. Are they a sleeping giant? In that they've done it before and haven't for quite a while. Sure, they did fall asleep. I mean, that's kind of that, that <laughs> is sort of that is sort of the way we talked about LSU and, and Saban and all that. In fact, I, I'll go ahead and give them sleeping giant status because one of the things that Saban did was come in and start to put things in categories and organize things that had nothing to do with football. Everything from admissions to recruiting to aesthetics to you know the way the university marketed itself to booster relations, and yeah. that's the kind of stuff that Nebraska. I don't think they're so much disorganized as they are kind of. St- duck up their own ass 20 years ago right and and the whole make or break i mean really anything besides like alabama sacrificing its dignity and waiting two months to to convince nick saban to save them like yeah that was a make or break hire because if, if he couldn't do it then you do start to wonder if anybody can for quite a long time um but i mean scott frost like i think the world of his coaching abilities he's still only been a head coach three years his career could still take many 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 twists or turns and him failing at nebraska would not necessarily be the end of the world for either him or nebraska so ucf improvement was pretty remarkable oh even, absolutely even at a program where you're like oh of course i think his odds there. are very good of getting them back to an eight nine t- or to like a nine or ten win level at least but yeah, yeah we'll see um Really, really was one of the notable, like, team is different. Team is different, you know, day one versus the, you know, Thanksgiving. Like, really, really remarkable one-year deal there. Um, okay. Um, Dimitri, our friend Dimitri Ravenos. Yep. Um, we're not to Mountain West Conference just yet, but he asks, I'm in Hawaii this week. Humble brag. Um while my wife was at a work conference, I made time to drive over to Aloha Stadium, and good lord, does it make Legion Field look like Mecca. Uh, their disadvantages on a national scale make sense, but can Hawaii even compete facility and resource-wise within the Mountain West? Um, it's hard. <laughs> and people don't believe us when we talk yeah. about this stuff. They really don't. Um, it's kind of funny. They just... Um, everybody thinks it's it's you know it's paradise because you go on vacation there. It's really hard, um, and the the money is in a weird situation. Um, pausing because there's things I'm not at liberty to say. Um, that program needs some mainland influence in the administration and fundraising yeah. and yeah. but marketing kind of side where you preserve the identity and the culture the actual culture and that you then maybe set a higher expectation with some, some new buildings perhaps um, for the football culture part. I think Rolovich is doing it is, is doing it as, as good as Rolovich anybody can. I think is a great hire for them. Yeah. Like I mean, he, Rolovich he, is doing he, it. He basically, he struts around with a screw you attitude. 
Um, yeah, and, and I it, think honestly that's a front to absorb a lot of criticism right. and and protect the rest of that program. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and that's part of the reason it's good. Uh, but he does like in their best moments over his three years now, it really has been a, just basically a. Um, <laughs> just a, a, a very much a chip on shoulder kind of effect. And, and that works really well there. The D- June Jones, like uh, uh, Hawaii is a good school for like creating an identity. Like they kind of need that. Um, but for all the, uh, the attention that June Jones's teams had uh, for Colt Brandon and all the offense and all that, um, their defense also played pissed off. Like just physical, mean, kind of dirty. Uh, like they had that identity to go with that high flying offense, and those were mm-hmm. really super fun teams. But it, it's just hard. Like jobs like Hawaii, play uh, teams like Hawaii are why I love college football so much. Just because there are so many just incredibly unique jobs, like NFL jobs. Like yeah, like the Patriots organization is different than whoever, but it's still an NFL job. And they're almost they they almost become interchangeable at most places within the NFL. But there's no interchangeable with Hawaii. It is it is its own thing. UTEP is its own thing. Uh, Boise State is its own thing. There are so many weird, just unique schools, and I love it. But I just don't have an answer. I don't know what you can do there to be consistently strong. It's always going to be hard. Um, we can we can leave on this one. It's a fun one. Um, I'm curious if you know off the top of your head. Nicholas Kranz asks. Has there ever been a team with a wider gap between preseason S&P offense, 125th, <laughs> and defense, 5th unit rankings, than next year's Cal team? That's I, a good question. I wasn't prepared to answer that, so I don't know. Um, is there anything we can think of? Well, I mean, I can yeah, – it is funny. Like, there are always going to be the Michigan States and Cals because I always – get every – I've start, I've stopped responding 120? to 120? Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, well, Michigan Jesus. State's kind of patented that, I think. But um, – they're always during the season. You'll get somebody like a one twentieth in this and tenth in this, and I'll always get fans. Has there ever been a? Yeah, there has been. It's it happens. It's it's uh, mind blowing when it's happening to you. But uh, let's see here. What are the biggest gaps for next season? I'm opening a spreadsheet and talking and it's filling space and filling space and filling space. While the God opened the spreadsheet already, Jesus. I can't really even think of something to. I mean, well, oh, you had Ole Miss, right? Um, yeah, Ole Miss was kind of the reverse Cal. Um, yeah, they play each other this year. That ought to be fun. Come on. Um, I bet it exists somewhere with the Big 12, right? <laughs> well, Texas Tech one year, something like that. Let's see. Okay, the biggest difference is this year. Um, we do have – I mean, right off the bat, we've got uh, good old Oklahoma with their uh, 55 spot difference uh, between okay. offense and defense. What the hell? Come on, Excel. You're a lot really, of good air here as we really, round out this show. I would I would venture to guess that the answer is going to lie in the the uh, the Big Twelve, but in reverse. Now, as far as what, as far as the being that insanely dominant on defense and that just bad on offense, I think that's the rare combination. Absolutely. Um, because if you think of all the good defenses in college football the last couple of years, they're usually associated with some well-meaning offenses, at least. <laughs> Georgia, Alabama. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I can't really, as we fill this the end of the show with dead air, I can't think of a really, really strong defense in recent years where the offense was just total trash. Well, Michigan State. Or at least that year. level of trash. Michigan State every year. Um, 
has 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 filled that kind of role. Uh, Michigan State this year is is projected third and ninety sixth. So Cal only has a little. Could bit Iowa of fact, could could Iowa found their way into this situation? No, Iowa usually is pretty mediocre. Um, okay. So the biggest gaps are we've got Cal at fifth and one twenty fifth. We've got uh, Northern Illinois at nineteenth and one twentieth. That's pretty nice. Nineteenth uh, okay. defensively, North uh, Northwestern is twenty first defensively and a hundredth. Southern Miss is twenty fourth defensively and one hundred sixteenth. Did not uh, see that coming. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, Northwestern. That's, yeah, that's a good one too. On the other side, you've got uh, Houston projected eleventh on offense and one hundred eighteenth on defense. Okay. Uh, Accurate. Um, <laughs> yeah, not bad. Uh, here's here's my favorite one. Um, Vanderbilt this year projected twenty second offensively and ninety first defensively. Derek Mason. Wait, what? Yeah. Man, that's weird. Yeah. Uh, Toledo. Well, then you've got your your run of the MAC teams. Toledo's thirty third and one hundred seventh. Ohio's thirty fourth and one one hundred nine. UNLV out in the Mountain West is thirty eight and one twenty one. So yeah, five, five and at one twenty five or whatever is rare. But there are plenty of teams that have only kind of figured things out on one side of the ball. Hmm. I do think, for the purposes of this question, Cal will be the benchmark going into this fall. We're going to see a lot of twelve to three games, and I'm down with that. <laughs> Uh, and one more to, to end on, uh, our friend Matty Mock, M-O-K, uh, asks, would, would Auburn ever make a coaching change midseason? Yes. <laughs> All right. We're out on the that. End. I'm out. <laughs>